The world and everything in it delivers sound journalism grounded in God's Word through a daily 30-minute podcast. From essential headlines to feature stories to international news straight from the field, after only one or two listens, you'll wonder how you got through your daily routine without it. Listen anywhere you typically enjoy podcasts or by going to wng.org slash podcast. It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. Dr. Catherine Rossetti is the author and our special guest, the book, The Anorexia Recovery Skills Workbook. Yes, we're going to delve into this difficult subject, a comprehensive guide to cope with difficult emotions, embrace self-acceptance, and prevent relapse. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice. Total sound control products from Oralex enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. So this is a, you know, sticky, tricky subject. People don't like to talk about this because it's kind of one of those things that people do in secret and uh, you bring it out in the open. Of course, you're a psychologist. Tell us about you and, uh, and about this book. Yes. So I am a clinical psychologist, um, and I'm also a certified eating disorder specialist, and I am the clinical director at the Eating Recovery Center of Houston. Um, so I work with patients with eating disorders across the spectrum, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, um, and everything in between uh, full time. And so um, I'm pretty immersed in this uh, disorder and really have a good understanding of it. Um, I wrote this book uh, as part, it, this actually started off as part of my uh, dissertation in my doctoral program when I was getting my doctorate in clinical psychology. And I had found that there was not really a lot of resources for patients who were in the recovery phase of their um, illness for, um, from anorexia. There's a lot of books out there that are memoirs or psycho psychoeducational books um, and some workbooks that are geared towards people who are maybe starting out in treatment or recovery, but nothing that really targets maintaining recovery. Um, this illness lasts uh, upwards of 10 years um, throughout the wow. process. There's a lot of relapses and um, ups and downs in the recovery process. Um, and so 
there was really a need for something that was evidence-based to help target um, things to focus on in the recovery process to help maintain recovery and ultimately reach full recovery. And it's like there are these triggers, right? Isn't that the word when it comes to something like this? How it's, uh, it it would seem, I mean, help me understand, (laughs) but it would, it would seem to me that, you know, there are a lot of things that set this off because it's all based around control, isn't it? As far as, uh, you know, people, uh, is it just bad coping skills and trying to control how does that work and what's what's that all about as far as the control issue of this? Yeah, so that is definitely a big piece of it. When we think about anorexia in particular, there's actually, it's kind of like the perfect storm. So there's a really heavy um, biological and um, genetic component to uh, anorexia and all eating disorders, um, but anorexia in particular, um, between 50 and about 85% of the disorder is genetically based um, or biologically based. And so the way that we're hardwired, the, um, our genes, and there's still a lot of research going on about that, trying to narrow down specific genes. Um, there's still a lot that's not known about this illness. Um, and then there's also the psychological and the social and emotional piece. And so what happens is, you know, some genetics and biology kind of loads the gun and then in the environment kind of pulls the trigger. So not everyone who's predisposed to having this illness will develop it. Um, so it really is that perfect storm when everything kind of comes together, uh, some high times for, this to, for this illness to kind of take off in individuals is around puberty and then also around that um, 18 to 19 year old range when people are going off to college. They tend to be two um, pretty big triggers or stressors in the environment or in their body that are going on um, to trigger the illness. Uh, however, we see this illness affecting children and all the way up into wow. um, seniors as well. Um, But there's a lot of, uh, like you said, there's a lot of components to it. So there's the genetic piece and then there's a psychological piece. People who are tend to be more um, perfectionistic, um, have pre-existing anxiety, um, are much more controlled with their emotions or have a disconnect from their emotions, just Mm -hmm. more in terms of their temperament, have a more, uh, are more likely to develop anorexia. Things like traumas or bullying, especially weight-related bullying, um, experimenting with dieting um, or fad diets can really trigger um, the the eating disorder. Um, And so there's a lot of different factors that kind of go into it, uh, and it's different for every person. You know, like for me, middle age, okay, like I've kind of let myself go. Thank God this is on radio, uh, you know, <laughs> not on, not to, but um, but the thing is that you know sometimes I'm it, it and the thought just goes really quick, okay? Like, what if I, you know, put my finger down my throat? And that sounds gross, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What if I, and it's just a thought. And I think to myself, okay, that's just a thought, forget it. But right. do you think about that? Is that, do people have a, a predisposition sometimes in the effort to lose weight where they do think about it more than they'd like to admit? I think so. I think that, um, and body dissatisfaction is one of the key predictors of someone developing an eating disorder. Um, and with the eating disorder, what we find is that people who do not develop eating disorders are people who like, oh, so let me back up a little bit. So everyone, not everyone, uh, a good portion of people go on diets, right? So at some point in their life, someone is, you know, trying out different diets or trying to manipulate their food in some way. And someone who's not prone to developing an eating disorder can go on a diet and whether or not it lasts, whether or not it quote unquote works, they're not taking it to an extreme. Someone with an eating disorder starts to go on a diet and it triggers something in the brain where it becomes really compulsive, really intrusive, and the eating disorder develops in a way that actually feels um, 
it's almost our patients will sometimes describe it as like they call it their eating disorder voice where they have the healthy part of their head that can kind of think logically. And then they have this really intrusive um, part of their mind that gets really stuck and really obsessive about different eating disorder behaviors, about their weight, about their shape, about their clothes sizes, about specific numbers and calories. And it really is out of their control. Um, even though, like you said earlier, part of the illness is designed or not designed is to, is, um, functioning in a way for them to feel a sense of control because they're controlling things that are outside of them. But in reality, uh, the eating disorder is in control and it's, uh, it's, uh, really scary because it's, uh, anorexia specifically has the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. Although recently it's been surpassed a little bit by the opioid crisis, but, um, more people are dying by anorexia than depression or anxiety, schizophrenia, things like that. This is a terrible way to treat yourself. I mean, it really yeah. is. And it's, it's a tormenting type of thing. We're going to be back with Dr. Rossetti in just a minute. Of course, her book, you'll want to get it, especially if you know someone who has anorexia, it's called the Anorexia Recovery Skills Workbook. More right after this. Charlotte Christian College and Theological Seminary believes that every Christian has a distinct calling and that he or she must boldly respond to that call. Charlotte Christian specializes in equipping the adult learner and all degrees are available both online and on campus. Degree fields include urban Christian ministry, biblical studies, pastoral studies, and more. So whether you are called to full-time ministry or as a co-vocational minister, Charlotte Christian can help you. Visit Visit us at charlottechristian.edu or call 704-334-6882. Christians in Action Missions International is actively accepting applications from those desiring to win the lost at any cost. We've been sending long-term missionaries throughout the world for 62 years. We emphasize intentional personal evangelism, equipping disciples, and planting churches among the nations. We empower national leadership to demonstrate and declare the love of God to the unreached. Journey with us as we take the gospel to the world. Log on at cinami.org. That's CINAMI.org or call 559-370-4103. Okay, we're back with Dr. Catherine Ussetti and the Anorexia Recovery Skills Workbook. This covers a lot, uh, Dr. Catherine. Yes. <laughs> as far as it's a, it's a great big book and it has a lot of good information. Uh, some of the topics, of course, transitions after intensive treatment letting go of your eating disorder, building healthy life goals. Of course, why don't we talk about this one, learning to accept yourself. Because, mm -hmm. again, we talked about this being very um, a tormenting type of thing. Uh, how do we get there and, and of all the different kind of ways that we can cope through life? Again, I mentioned I eat, okay, overeat. It's just mm -hmm. the opposite. But how do, we, how do people get there on that stop and say, hey, I'm going to control things through anorexia? Right. So... The, a lot of times what we find is that people who develop an eating disorder often have a very low sense of self-worth. Um, they think very badly about themselves. They often hate themselves or loathe themselves. Um, and the eating disorder can function in a variety of ways. One, it can function as a way to cope with difficult thoughts, difficult emotions, difficult situations that are happening in their environment. It also can create a sense of identity, specifically around our anorexia. Um, there's an identity that kind of gets um, ingrained in those individuals where after they've had the illness for an, um, a period of time, it's hard for them to think of who am I outside of this illness. And so part mm -hmm. of self-acceptance is figuring out who 
who are you outside of being underweight or having an eating disorder or having a difficult relationship with food? Um, who are you outside of being sick? Um, and so the identity piece is key. And then we, when we talk about self-acceptance, I don't necessarily, it would be great for people to get to a point of, I like myself and I love myself. And that's absolutely what we would want for everybody. And acceptance kind of in, in the true sense of the word acceptance really means allowing something to be as it already is without judgment. And so when we're talking about self-acceptance, it's also kind of, in other words, self, uh, kind of having a neutral view of the self. So before we can move to self-love or self-liking and, um, you know, being really uh, positive about oneself, we have to kind of get to that neutral place first because our patients are starting at such a um, extreme on term in terms of the self dislike or self hate. Um, and so working towards um, finding neutral things about themselves, things that they may not necessarily love or like, and kind of balancing out some of the negative that they feel to help challenge some of that um, internal dialogue that they have about themselves. that's very harsh and critical. You probably get this a lot, okay? So does bulimia and anorexia, do they go together? Is it, uh, do you get two in one for this? I mean, how does that work? Because it would just seem that uh, they likely go together. That's a great question. So anorexia specifically is characterized by someone who is um, significantly underweight for their body type, for their genetics, for their um, height and uh, build and family dynamic or family genetics um, and family history. Uh, so it's very individualized based um, in terms of uh, who is considered underweight. Um, it's, con- it's also characterized by a, a significant fear of gaining weight or inability to um, really appreciate how emaciated they are and how sick they are, um, an over-evaluation of weight and shape and size. And with that, with anorexia, you can have people who are true uh, or um, solely restricting. And so that's kind of the more classic type of anorexia that we see on TV or that is talked about. But there's also a subtype of anorexia called binge purge type. And those are people who are under significantly underweight, meet the criteria of anorexia, but are also engaging in the binging and purging, which is common with bulimia. Bulimia is different because people with bulimia, um, they're binging and purging pretty regularly, um, at least once a week for three months. um, But they're not necessarily underweight. Uh, They're um, often what we call, you know, considered like a normal weight for them, or sometimes they can be even at a higher weight. Um, And they, so the difference kind of lies in the uh, effect that it's having on the body. You know, I heard a, um, a golfer, I think his name is Greg Norman. He said when he has all these negative thoughts in his head, mm-hmm. he pretends like there's one of those old fashioned commodes, right? And he pulls it down and pictures all the, you know, CRAP mm-hmm. <laughs> to go downwards. But isn't like anorexia kind of like that? But they're literally, you know, pulling down the hatch or, or bulimia mm-hmm. uh, with their finger. And that reflex response, I mean, look at all the problems here. If you'd cover that, I mean, you were talking about bile or acid. We're mm-hmm. talking about food. Uh, it's probably the most natural type of thing that you can do to your body. And uh, what are some of the things that, let's just say there's the relief that people get, Absolutely. Uh, maybe even euphoria and maybe uh, yes. hate afterwards. But I mean, uh, what, are the, what kind of damage can that do, that reflex uh, for uh, bulimia, of course, tied into anorexia. Yeah. So, and you're absolutely right in terms of the effects. So a lot of, you know, most of us, when we throw up it, there, it's a, mm. it's really, it's an unpleasant experience, but someone with bulimia, what happens when they're purging and um, vomiting, they do get that sense of relief, that sense of euphoria, that sense of, um, it's almost like a high that they get from it. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it really is a very physical way of getting rid of 
difficult things that they're dealing with. And a lot of it's emotional, a lot of it's, um, you know, psychological things that they're really struggling to deal with. And the impact that that can have on one's body is um, really terrifying, honestly. Um, when people's electrolytes get out of whack, they are at risk for cardiac arrest. They're at risk for um, heart attacks. They're uh, the they're at risk for um, rupturing their esophagus if the acid is becoming too much. There's a lot of teeth and enamel erosion um, for people who are vomiting regularly because of the acid coming back up. And so um, the the physical effects of um, purging are pretty significant. And then when someone stops purging, it's really difficult to do that oftentimes for people who are doing it really regularly because the there's also side effects to stopping because your body gets so used to it. And so they can have really sore um, jaws. Uh, uh, there's a, um, I guess it's kind of like someone might look like a chipmunk a little bit there they get swelling in mm. their um in their jaws and because the their salivary glands are producing saliva in anticipation for them to vomit but they're not vomiting and so it gets really sore for them um and then we also see people develop edema or fluid um retention because of the stopping of the purging and those those side effects go away but it makes it really difficult to stop the purging on one's own because they're facing negative consequences um physically when they're stopping the behavior and then they learn to say, maybe this is really, you know, dumbing it down and generalizing it, but mm -hmm. maybe they learn to say, whoever hurt me, I forgive you, <laughs> or mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about uh, my, you know, it's, it must be, it's not that simple though, but I'm sure people get to that place where instead of taking those kind of sure. actions, which are drastic, do, do they learn more to handle the hurt by confronting people that hurt them? Absolutely. There's a lot of interpersonal work that there's a lot of intrapersonal, so in like internal work that goes on, but a lot of interpersonal work that needs to happen too. A lot of times, whether it's anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, um, the anger that they may feel uh, towards others, uh, injustices or traumas that they've experienced, they are feeling unable to express that in a healthy way to address that with someone in, like personally um, and confront them about things that may have happened um, or to really even admit things that have happened to themselves. And so instead they're taking out, taking it out on themselves. And so a lot of the work that we do with our patients is not just gaining weight or stopping, you know, vomiting or stopping the binging behaviors. It's really that um, whole person kind of work, the learning how to manage anxiety and depression symptoms, um, learning how to handle conflict, learning how to process trauma in an effective way, um, and doing family work and work with, you know, husbands and wives and uh, siblings and friends uh, in the therapy room to make sure that they're getting out what they need to get out and they're learning how to skillfully talk about uh, these really difficult topics that they have been holding in and taking out on themselves for so long. Yeah, I'm sure getting also used to food and having a, you know, a truce when it comes yeah. to food. Say, hey, yeah. look, you know, I'm not going to do that to you. I, I respect food. I respect my body. And uh, what's that like? I mean, when people all of a sudden they overcome this, okay, thanks mm -hmm. to you and uh, your book, of course, the Anorexia Recovery Skills Workbook, mm -hmm. a comprehensive guide to cope with difficult emotions, embrace self-acceptance and prevent a relapse, what happens when they realize what they did? You know, it's almost like a, like a drug addict when they realize what I do to my body and, yeah. uh, and they come out, but can they, can they come out from under this? And I know sometimes it can leave permanent scars, if you will. Yeah, a lot of, so physically there's, um, there's a lot of, a lot of the complications with the body can be reversed through proper nutrition and sustained, um, maintaining an, um, a, 
an appropriate weight for one's body for those who are starting out underweight. Um, some of the effects though are irreversible, um, specifically osteoporosis. If someone develops osteoporosis, that's typically irreversible. Um, but a lot of the other effects can over time be reversible, which is really promising. Um, but I, what I experience is that when patients reach that point in recovery and it's very, and recovery is absolutely possible. It is, it is definitely possible. I've, I have experienced, uh, both colleagues in the field who are doing this work because they have recovered and also um, patients who have come back years later um, talking about their recovery where they, they've had to go through kind of a grieving process of grieving things that they've lost to this illness and finding meaning from the, the, um, the journey that they had to go on because of it. Um, there's absolutely some grief, both in losing the eating disorder in early recovery, but then also grieving kind of the impact that it's had on their lives and making a commitment to really continue life in a way that's healthy so that they don't um, kind of succumb to the illness again. We want to find out why this is such a secret type of illness in just a bit. Of course, the book, The Anorexia uh, Recovery Skills Workbook, our special guest, Dr. Catherine Russetti. We'll talk about more. And by the way, before we do, what do you think the biggest thing that uh, the biggest question you get when people ask you about anorexia? Um, gosh, that's hard. Um, I think the biggest question, and I guess it kind of comes with a misconception, is that when a lot of people think that when someone gains the weight that they're recovered and gaining the weight is just step one of a multiple step journey. Um, and that's really what this book targets is, all right, you've gained the weight. Here's all the other work that really needs to be done in order to maintain the recovery because the weight is just one piece of the picture. Um, the psychological and emotional toll that, um, both the illness takes and then also that's happening concurrently is really crucial to be able to maintain and sustain a recovery. We have a lot to learn. We'll be right back right after this. God has designed you for a unique purpose. Get equipped for God's call with a degree from Clark Summit University. Choose from undergraduate and master's degrees available completely online in programs like business, counseling, Bible, and education. For some programs, it's possible to earn your degree in as little as two years, or you can complete the degree you previously started. See if you qualify for a tuition discount. Answer God's call on your life and become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate. Go to clarksummitu.edu slash podcast. That's clarksummitu.edu slash podcast. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. The Anorexia Recovery Skills Workbook, a comprehensive guide to cope with difficult emotions, embrace self-acceptance, and prevent relapse. Our special guest, Dr. Catherine Russetti. And so tell us how your book is a little different as far as the, uh, you know, it's the acceptance or the act theory. But tell us about your book. Where does it you know, get into the nitty gritty and has to help people? Yeah, so the book is based in um, some research where there's been some studies, qual uh, qualitative studies that have taken the patient perspective and professionals' perspective of what are the factors that help or 
uh, trigger, re- so help maintain recovery or trigger relapse either way? Um, what are some of the biggest factors that are just really crucial for someone in recovery to really focus on in the recovery to sustain it? And then the book is using concepts from um, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, and acceptance commitment therapy, which are all evidence-based um, uh, therapeutic modalities to treat eating disorders. Um, and so using concepts from those uh, different therapy therapeutic modalities uh, to help the person who is completing this workbook or going through it with their therapist to explore these different topics um, in a way that helps to the, for them to cope and to think differently about uh, these struggles that might be coming up and giving them activities for them to have a real tangible hands-on experience of exploring these topics. And why is this so silent? This uh, Why is this a topic even on television? People don't like to talk about it. Is it because uh, you know more people have anorexia then, uh, you know, nervosa, then uh, then people are led on to believe. Also, in that same question, uh, this affects models, actors, athletes, uh, others that you least expect. Who else? Yeah, it affects, it can really affect anybody. And there's an estimated 30 million people of all ages and genders that really suffer from eating disorders in the United States. And I think that there's multiple reasons why it's a quiet illness. One is the, especially with anorexia, um, there's, there's a, part of the illness is not wanting to give it up in the beginning. So it's what we call egosyntonic. So meaning that the illness and the way that they are um, engaging in the illness is congruent with how they want to be perceived. So there's a way in which society and others perceive someone who's able to eat a small amount of food or exercise really rigidly at the gym as being glorified in a way. And there's uh, and it's serving a purpose. It's numbing out emotions. It's keeping someone feeling safe, even though it's actually doing a terrible. Uh, it's terribly a disservice. Um, yes, yes, and it's uh, very harmful to the body and to the to the mind. Um, but it feels safe, and so there's a there's part of it that uh, people with anorexia don't want to give it up. And then for other behaviors, so other behaviors like binging and purging. Um, those behaviors tend to be what we call ego dystonic, meaning they do not fit with how someone wants to be seen um, or how they see themselves. And there's a lot of shame around it. So there's a lot of shame um, around some of the other eating disorder behaviors outside of the restricting. And so both of those can really impact someone's desire or ability to really be upfront about it. And then our society also really glamorizes anorexia. So I think a lot of people um, mistake an eating disorder sometimes for just normal, quote unquote, normal, you know, being a woman in our society, um, where, you know, we're dieting and going on these extreme fasts or diets and, um, and not really taking, not taking seriously how, uh, dangerous it is. Is it amazing? Like how things have changed, of course, uh, where the waif model mm-hmm. used to be in, but now you see these, I mean, now they're really explicit, you know, you see these bra mm-hmm. commercials or, or underwear, you know, and they're, and they're full figured women now. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you never saw that before. So it, that's a step in the right direction. Is it not? I mean, the fact that it's not just, uh, you know, this ultra disgustingly thin and even photos now there's a little bit of a police that wasn't there before where uh, it was okay to photoshop and now people are are keeping a little more honest instead of getting down to that anorexia look right Uh, so i'm sure for you uh you know tell us a little bit about how you know the media how this plays out and how even you know young uh, women and men uh, Mm -hmm. are affected as far as uh, with body image 
Absolutely. So the media absolutely has a huge impact on body image, especially in terms of weight and shape. Um, body image is definitely more complex than just wanting to be thin. Um, but that's a big piece of it in terms of media, especially for those who are younger. So the uh, teenagers and young adults um, can be really impacted by the media specifically. Um, and what's interesting is that uh, this whole movement, right, of um, where like the body ideal is changing. And I, I do agree that it's changing in a positive direction. And the idea that one specific body type, regardless of what that body type is, is ideal is problematic, right? So body inclusivity, so including all body types as being acceptable and desirable and you know, including all abilities and all sizes and colors and shapes is actually probably the most ideal situation versus going from one specific type of body as being the ideal body to another specific type of body, because there's always going to be people who, people who don't fit those body types. Um, and so body size and shape and color and ability, uh, inclusivity is really, uh, what would be ideal in our society. Yeah, we're talking right now with Dr. Catherine Rossetti. She's a licensed psychologist and primary therapist at the Eating Recovery Center at Houston. She completed her pre-doctoral and post-doctoral training at Baylor College of Medicine at the uh, Menninger, uh, I got it right? Yeah, Menninger. Menninger, yes. <laughs> the Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas. I'll learn how to read here, and um, and I'll edit that out probably. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and I'm the cl I'm the clinical director, not the primary therapist anymore. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah. so now, as far as all the research that you do, I mean, is that the fun part? I mean, how does yeah. how does that uh, play out, and and what are different kind of ways that you conduct the research? Yeah. So when I, um, so I've done some research uh, projects where, you know, looking at data and patient results and outcome results um, and writing some papers and getting published. Um, right, right now, my current in, uh, research endeavors are look, right now we do outcome measures for our patients. And so I've created um, forms where we're doing therapeutic interventions with those outcome measures to help patients see kind of where they're coming in at and helping them quantify um, their struggles that might be really hard to talk about and then also helping them to see the progress. And so I've created um, some measures and some trainings around that for our staff. Um, and so my research uh, endeavors right now are a little bit more indirect, um, but I really enjoy being able to uh, contribute to the research in whatever way I can. Uh, I think it's so important to be able to have evidence-based um, information out there uh, in, uh, in both for our treatment center specifically, but also just eating disorders in general. I mean, do they use like, uh, you know, rats or animals or in, in this type of thing? Do that, do they, do <laughs> they work that I'm doing necessarily. I, mean, I, mean, <laughs> I know it sounds mean, but people, you know, unfortunately right. they'll use like animals first uh, for studies or anything like that. Do you know of any studies where they use animals? I am sure there is something out there. Um, I think in terms of looking at hormone levels and uh, like, level uh, different neurotransmitter levels i'm sure they're using those types of um animal models to look at that as preliminary results um but uh i know there's a lot of and there's also been some genetic studies of looking at um dna sequencing for people with um, anorexia specifically that's been done um a lot of the research is looking at um you know comorbid factors looking at um different like comorbidities um the kind of the nuances of the eating disorder to really fully understand it and to look at treatment interventions that are specifically helping these individuals um, because there's still a lot that's not known about what is the most effective way to treat someone with anorexia. We're going to have some final words with Dr. Catherine Rossetti right after this. First, uh, just to let you know that uh, this book we've been talking about, the Anorexia Recovery Skills Workbook, uh, it'll cover uh, understanding your eating disorder, building your recovery team, 
manage your treatment and track your progress, learn to accept and be good to yourself, cultivate healthy relationships. We're going to find out more too, including, you know, who may be the poster child would be for anorexia as far as someone we could look up to who overcame it right after this. Every day, over three and a half million children walk, bike, and ride to a Christian school. Every day. But many of our schools are in danger of closing. Our Christian schools are too important to our children, to our families, and to our nation to let that happen. Christian School Management at christianschoolmanagement.org is dedicated to the health of our Christian schools. Contact christianschoolmanagement.org to help your Christian school fill and stay filled with children impacting our nation. Hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz with Redemption Press here. Are you a coach, pastor, blogger, small group leader, thought leader, ministry, or industry professional with a message that could benefit others? If so, we'd love to help you produce a professional book that can open new doors and be an impact to other people's lives. We'd love to hear about your idea and see how we can help with our personalized writing coaches and professional editorial team. Visit redemption-press.com. Okay, back with Dr. Catherine Russetti and the Anorexia Recovery Skills Workbook. Now, this is a big book, a comprehensive guide to cope with uh, difficult emotions, embrace self-acceptance, and uh, prevent relapse. And I'm glad it's big, too, because there's a lot to work through. Uh, Do workbooks work better than just kind of sometimes we're pacified with books? But uh, what kind of discipline do you have to, you know, what kind of disciplined person do you have to be Mm -hmm. to use a workbook? Yeah, I... So the workbook is really designed to be used in conjunction with therapy or to help guide therapy. There's, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who don't have access to an eating disorder specialist, whether it's financial resources, limitations, or location. Um, People in rural areas may not have a specialist within, you know, 100 miles of them. And so this book is really designed ideally for someone to be working with their therapist to help guide the topics that they're talking about and doing some homework outside of the sessions. Um, I would... I, I, the ideal would not be for someone to be doing this workbook as a sole means to recover from the eating disorder. Um, but I think that, you know, it takes, I think that anyone can really complete a workbook and can really um, benefit from exploring these topics um, on their own. Um, I don't know necessarily what, how to quantify the discipline that it would take. Um, but I think it's something that, you know, you can put down, you can, you don't have to necessarily go in order um, when you're looking through it, which is really helpful kind of just, you know, picking the chapters that might be relevant to you in that moment. Now, this is a big $100,000 question. Did you ever suffer from an eating disorder? That is a that is, so, that is an interesting question. So I, as part of my professional um, development, don't necessarily share whether or not um, I've recovered from an eating disorder, and that is because I don't want someone to base their recovery on another person's recovery journey. So I think that there um, there are some ways in which uh, that can be helpful, and there's a lot of people that are you know professionals that are recovered that are open about that. Um, I, at ERC, we don't necessarily share that as part of our, um, part of our. Yeah. You don't have, it's, it's like, you know, a male gynecologist, right? (laughs) You don't have to be able to have the the same anatomy. I mean, so I completely agree with that, but let me ask you, how, how do people who are, if you will, part of the same club who have anorexia, bulimia, Mm -hmm. um, how do they enable one another? Can they actually do that? Or is it kind of like every person for themselves and you struggle yourself or, uh, is it, I'm sure there, you know, there's support groups, but uh, also can people enable one another? 
Absolutely. Um, and that's actually uh, part of what we look at in our treatment facility is looking at what we call like partners in illness versus partners in recovery. So the eating disorders can be very competitive um, and they can kind of feed off one another at times if the milieu or the community of patients is not in a good place in their recovery or they're not really focused on recovery. And so we do a lot of work with the patients as a group to make sure that the environment is safe and it's recovery focused because there is that risk of um, people kind of competing with their eating disorders or letting someone else's behavior impacting their behaviors um, and learning new behaviors uh, that might be enabling the eating disorder. And at the same time, like you said, there's a lot of support groups that um, that uh, are very effective also in finding community of people who are in recovery, uh, people who get it, people who um, aren't going to judge or make assumptions or say uh, things that are outwardly trigger triggering um, because they've been through it as well. And that can also be a really powerful tool in someone's recovery to find that community of people who are supportive. So Dr. Rossetti, and speaking of which, you also have a chapter uh, in about uh, social networks, so at least you include mm-hmm. that. Uh, yeah. And can that be a trigger too? where everybody, they say there's research that it makes you feel bad about yourself. You know, I have more money. I have uh, look at my kids and that type of thing. They, should people with anorexia stay away from that? So there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of research that has been coming out and it's uh, been repeated over time that, um, increased social media use and having more social media accounts and more engagement with social media um, definitely is correlated with increase in eating disorder symptomatology, as well as other mental health struggles, depression, anxiety, things like that, because there is that culture of comparison of only showing someone's highlight reel. um, And that can and, and then the body image piece too, right? Of being bombarded with images of, you know, Photoshopped individuals or, um, you know, these uh, supermodels or fitness experts. And there's a lot of self-comparison that can happen around, happen around that. And so the chapter in the book um, related to social network is talking about um, building one's um, social support system in their real life um, versus online um, and really uh, targeting developing healthy support, setting boundaries, being able to find those people who are, uh, supportive, who care about you fully and, um, and accept you as you are and being able to communicate in an effective way to maintain those relationships. Dr. Rossetti, before we go any further, how can people get your book? <laughs> <laughs> so anywhere that the uh, books are sold. So it's uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, um, both sell the uh, anorexia recovery skills workbook. Um, those are the two biggest places. So online or in store at Barnes and Noble as well. And your website? Um, I do not have a website. Wow. Really? I know. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. How are people going to get a hold of you? I want people to, I mean, unless you, you know, you want I, people to contact you or call you or how are they going to get in touch with you? I have. Yeah. So I, I mean, my information is on the Eating Recovery Center's uh, wor- uh, website. Sorry. So the, uh, at eatingrecoverycenter.com um, under the Houston location. That's where I'm based. Um, my contact information and bio are all in there. Well, I have just a few questions I want to ask you. This is maybe a little unusual. Have you ever had the opposite happen, right? Somebody has anorexia, bulimia, right? Mm -hmm. And then they struggle with obesity. Has that ever happened? Yeah. So so eating disorders right at their core are they're often not very different from each other when we're looking at anorexia, bulimia, or binge eating disorder. And so we do find that there are patients who kind of migrate between the different eating disorders over the course of the illness. And again, this illness can last a very long time. The recovery process for this illness is um, pretty extensive. And so over the course of one's illness, they can uh, their eating disorder can kind of morph. And so I have seen people who 
um, have anorexia. And then several years later through the, re the recovery journey, they've kind of gone to the other extreme and they're more than they qualify for binge eating disorder. Um, but there are other individuals who don't follow that trajectory. Um, and it's so it, it is possible. And um, I've seen it happen. You have. Yeah. But so I'm wondering if that could ever, you know, swing the other way and then you're eating Absolutely. too much. Uh, but of course, you know, we want everyone. I mean, everybody is a lot healthier with a happy medium. I know that movie, The Joker, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, who I believe he ate an apple a day for like two or three months. Oh, my God. And yeah. please don't try this at home, you know, folks, no. because, yeah, and he, uh, you know, was lauded uh, mm -hmm. from you know, instead of saying that's crazy or, or having a be, they, he was mm -hmm. applauded and even right. glorified for losing all that weight. Can that have an effect on people when they see what he did? Absolutely. I think that um, it makes it, you know, it, especially when it's praised and it's, and, you know, and it's uh, applauded, it makes it desirable and quote unquote, a good thing to do. And um, what people have to remember is that this was, you know, he's, very rich. He's an actor. He was likely monitored by doctors very closely and it was for a role and it was uh, something that he didn't do for after the role was over. Right. And so people, people don't are, know that. <laughs> right. Exactly. And people who are prone to an eating disorder, they can't stop like he did. Right. So he was able to, you know, regain the weight and to eat, you know, normally I'm, I'm under, I'm assuming, right. I don't know him. Personally. Yes. No, no, he's um, back. <laughs> but he's, you know, he looks like he's back at a normal weight after that. And he's, uh, whereas someone with who's prone to anorexia or who has a history of anorexia going on an extreme diet like that can absolutely re-trigger and cause a relapse or cause the illness to take, um, take flight. Yeah. I have one more question. Last question here. You know, I know that, a lot of this, your book, of course, the Anorexia Recovery Skills Workbook, it's about working through things and understanding yourself and getting support to people who have partners or friends, mm -hmm. family, uh, spouses. What can they do when they have, uh, even, you know, with bulimia, to kind of put a lockdown on this thing? Because it seems mm -hmm. like you can really go haywire on your own. So if you could just mention maybe three things that people, because I'm sure that people feel helpless when they're yeah. you know, knowing someone who suffers from anorexia nervosa and, uh, and bulimia. Absolutely. And I think that we can kind of start with things not to do. So um, when when you have a loved one with an eating disorder, it can be really tempting to kind of become the food police or the bathroom police. And we're kind of monitoring and, uh, you know, feeling very, it can kind of almost appear punishing or feel punishing or judging. And the important thing is to just encourage your loved one to get into treatment and to whether that's with an outpatient therapist or in a treatment program, like at the eating recovery center, because that it helps. You don't want to play therapist, dietitian, psychiatrist, medical doctor, and loved one at the same time, your role really should be focusing on being the loved one. And so um, encouraging that person to go to treatments and to get help can be a really crucial um, step to help support them through that. Um, and being for being there for them unconditionally. Um, this illness is can it can really make the person. It can kind of take over the person's mind where mm. they will say things that they don't mean. They're very. They can become very irrational and emotional as a way to protect. You know, they're 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 very scared. There's a lot of fear that's associated with it, um, and and that's why the therapy piece is so important. And so. Um, helping someone get into treatment, being there for them unconditionally, and avoiding being, you know, the trying to multi be multiple roles and um, really focusing on being that person's uh, loved one versus trying to be like the food police, like I said earlier, or yeah. 
And if you know any food police for me, please just you know, after this, just give me the number because I, I need I need help. I mean, I like to eat a lot, you know, just kind of like the opposite. But how rewarding, though, for your field as a licensed psychologist and researcher. And what's the most rewarding thing? I lied. This is my last question. <laughs> what's the what's the most rewarding part of all this? I would say when patients email or visit, you know, a year, two years, five years later and are maintaining their recovery, they're living their life, they're talking about, you know, all the things that they're doing that are based on their values versus based in avoidance of their difficult emotions and they're living life and they're doing these really amazing things that they're just passionate about that they really lost sight of when they were in their illness. That is like, that just warms my heart so much when I when I get patients uh, communicating back to me, you know, years later um, and telling me about the their, the lives that they're living outside of their mm. illness and um, that and how impactful their treatment has been for them. Yes, Dr. Rossetti, she has been our special guest and the book, The Anorexia Recovery Skills Workbook. If you have anorexia or you know someone who has it, this is the book that you want to get. It's a comprehensive guide to cope with difficult emotions, embrace self-acceptance, and prevent relapse. We've learned a ton, and we really appreciate you being on the program. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth to Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.